Last week, our staff did a great job of kicking off this series uh, in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible for many, many reasons. Uh, but one, it's just a classic book on leadership. If you're a leadership junkie like I am, I like to read and hear and listen to you know anything I can on leadership. And, and Nehemiah is just kind of like this, this class that you walk through chapter after chapter. And here's what we believe at Crossroads. We believe everybody is called to leadership. Can you say amen? Because leadership is simply influence. And every one of us, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a teacher or you're a, a CEO mom or a CEO dad, every one of us has influence. God has blessed us with the gift of influence. And what he wants us to do as his sons and his daughters is to use that influence to build his kingdom here on this earth. Can you say amen this morning? And so Nehemiah is just full of these principles that we apply in leadership in our lives. It'll work in your, in your marriage. It'll work with your kids. These things will work, uh, you know, in the corporate world or wherever you are finding to put your hand and to serve. These principles are here, and they're going to jump out at us today as we kind of walk through this book. One of the things I love about the book, and this might sound funny, like, Pastor, why would you love this? Well, I'll tell you. But one of the things I love about, about the book is there are no miracles in the book. There, now, I like miracles, but most of us don't walk day to day into miracles. Anybody, has anybody just took a stroll on top of Deep Creek Lake lately? No, because you don't, you don't have that miracle-working power working in your lives all the time. And, and so this book, there's, there's no supernatural healings. No one gets raised from the dead. There, no one gets blinded eyes open. But what God does is he takes ordinary people and through the power of leadership and good old-fashioned hard work, come on, somebody, God go, goes into a desolate place and he brings restoration. You see, the people of God were living in a world much like ours. It was crumbling. It was broken. But God raised up some people who would do this hard work of rebuilding. And again, he just, out of the ashes, he brought up something beautiful. And friends, as we dive into this book, I'm excited because I firmly believe that the crumbling world that we now live in needs a church that builds do you hear me this morning? We, we, the, the world system, which is ruled by Satan, what does that system do? It tears down. That system steals, it kills, it destroys. The enemy loves to tear down. But God is looking for some people who will roll up our sleeves, pick up our hammers, and do the hard work of rebuilding. And it's like hesitating. Should we clap? We should not clap. I'm not sure. Will it get better? I don't, will he preach longer if we clap? Don't clap. Listen, not only do we have some things that need rebuilt in our culture, but there are some things that we need rebuilt in our lives. Some of us have lost our spiritual passion. It's time to rebuild. Some of our marriages, they're crumbling. It's time to rebuild them. It's not time to throw them away. It's time to rebuild them. Some of us are in a financial mess right now. And I can't promise you that a financial miracle is coming your way. But I will promise you this. If you will honor God with your finances, he will give you the wisdom you need to rebuild them. Friends, some of us have allowed our physical health to fade. I went on vacation, and you know what we discovered on vacation? A milkshake with donuts on the inside of it. 
Come on, somebody. This is not fair for a fat man. I, the struggle was real. It cost $7. It could have cost $700. I would have paid for it. It was that good. Some of us need to rebuild. Someone say, it's time to rebuild, preacher. Come on, friends, we often give up on ourselves. Often others kind of throw us under the bus. Sometimes Satan convinces us that we're too far gone. But through this new series, God is going to remind us he is a redeemer, he is a restorer, and he is a rebuilder. Somebody say, it's time to rebuild. Last week, Chris did a great job. We listened to the service online, and he did a great job of starting us off in chapter 1 and really focused in on Nehemiah's prayer life. Nehemiah, in his prayer life, had mastered what I call the spiritual conference call. The spiritual conference call. Nehemiah understood that he needed to involve God in every conversation. When you were talking to him, you weren't just talking to Nehemiah. You were talking to Nehemiah and God. You were on a spiritual conference call. Let's look at one example. Nehemiah chapter 1, he finds out his homeland is desolate. He gets a burden from God to rebuild it. This burden weighs so heavily on him, he goes into the presence of his king, the boss, and he looks physically ill. The king notices it, and he talks to him here in Nehemiah 2 in verse 2. It says, therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Verse 4, watch this now. Then the king said to me, what do you request? And Nehemiah responded this way. So I prayed to the God of heaven. The king asked him a question, but before he asked him a question, Nehemiah goes to Jesus, gets Jesus on the main line, says, Jesus, how should I respond? He brought God into the conversation. If you and I are going to be people that rebuild stuff, we're going to have to figure out how to include God in every conversation. Before you respond to your kid, pray. Before you respond to your coworker, pray. Before you respond to your spouse, pray and then pray again for good measure. Before you respond to your mother-in-law, don't. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Before you respond online to your friend's latest political post, pray, 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 pray. Nehemiah understood his dependence, this is what this is about. He understood his dependence on God. Friends, you and I have got to remember, no, no matter how great we think we are, we are nothing without Jesus. He is the vine. We are simply a dried up branch without him heading to the fire. But through him, we can produce good fruit if we will remain attached to the vine. And so the king asks a question, Nehemiah prays, and then Nehemiah answers. He shares his vision with his boss, and look at verse 5. And I said to the king, only after first saying to the Lord, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah is a leader. 
and leaders have the ability to see the future and then figure out how to create it. This is what leaders do. Leaders can see the future and then figure out how to create it. Again, we're reminding our church through this series, every one of us is a leader. Every one of us has influence. People who rebuild things are people that use that influence for the kingdom of God. You see, the world teaches us to use our influence to get more likes. The world teaches us to use our influence to get more customers, to to make more money, to get more followers. But disciples of Christ, we use our influence to build his kingdom, not ours. Do you hear me this morning? Disciples of Christ, we use this gift of influence, leadership, to build his kingdom, not ours. There's just so many leadership lessons we can learn it's okay. It's all right. He's having a tough day. Heard about that milkshake. Been crying ever since because we don't have them. You know what leaders do? Leaders serve their way into leadership. Nehemiah is in a place of prominent leadership in a kingdom he doesn't even belong to. Just like we looked at a few weeks ago with Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, Nehemiah is living in a foreign land where false gods are worshipped. He's living in captivity, but somehow he rises to leadership. Do you know how this happened? He served his way to leadership. This is what leaders do. See, you can either shove your way into leadership or you can serve your way into leadership, but God's way is always through servanthood. We live in an upside down kingdom. The world says we are to climb that corporate ladder, but God says we're actually to bow. We go up by going down. We prosper and we are promoted by serving others. You can shove your way into leadership or you can serve your way into leadership. We've probably all had this at the workplace where somebody was brought in and they were given a title or a position. Hey everybody, meet Jimmy. Jimmy is your new leader. And people were expected to follow them. Rarely does Jimmy become a successful leader. Why? Because it's forced. But on the other hand, we've probably all seen people who worked their way up the ranks. They started at the lowest job. They served faithfully. They formed relationships with people. And over time, little by little, their leadership and their influence grew. Those people make great leaders. Over the years, I've had people tell me that God had called them to be a leader in our church, and they just almost demand that we give them a leadership role in the church. Friends, that never works because leaders don't demand. Leaders inspire. That's what leaders do. The the word inspire comes from two words, in spirit. (laughs) Leaders reach down into your spirit, and they bring out the best in you and they become a person that you willingly want to follow the best leaders I know are people who just show up and serve they just walk in and like hey y'all need any help with anything yeah we could really need we could use some help you know sweeping the floor okay where's the broom 
Those are the best leaders. They just, they just show up and they just serve. Hey, is there anything I can help with? Oh, you need someone to do that? Hey, sign me up. I'm, I'm willing to do that. They don't come in and they, they don't go, um, you know, I mean, that's kind of beneath me. They don't do that. They just show up and they serve. My first jobs in the church were cleaning the toilets, running the vacuum, sweeping the sidewalks, running the soundboard. And last week before we left, I walked into our church and the toilet was dirty. Guess what I did? I cleaned it. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't clean. I didn't start that way thinking someone would see me and notice me. And wow, you know, I'm going to do this. And, and they'll see what a hard worker I am. And, and then I'll get promoted. Do you know why I cleaned the toilets? They were dirty. <laughs> they were dirty. You need something that needs, you, you know, you see something that needs done, just do it. This is the way people who want to rebuild our broken world, this is the way we do life is we see a need and we meet it. We see a place of service and we simply serve there. You can shove your way into leadership or you can serve your way into leadership, but God's way is always through service. Can you say amen? Now, the next thing that jumps out to me with Nehemiah's leadership is that he waits for the right time to share his vision. He waits for the right time to share his vision. Theologians, guys smarter than me, they say that it was four months. Nehemiah was praying about this thing for four months before he went and he approached the king. Do you know if it's God's will today, it'll be God's will four months from now? The biggest mistakes in my life have been when I got ahead of God's timing. Can anyone else be strong enough to admit <laughs> That, man, when I, when I tried to make it happen, when I tried to kick down the door, when I tried to I'm going to make this happen, I always get out in front of God and I make really, really bad choices. Nehemiah, he, he put this vision in the crock pot of his soul. How many would agree? You put something in a crock pot, it's always better. When I think it's in there, I mean, you're making sauce, you're making chili, you're making, you're making a roast. That thing's got to be in there for some hours. And it's, it's in there. It's, it's just the flavors are coming together. There's magic happening in the crock pot. Well, your soul has a crock pot. And often if we feel like God's telling us to do something, one of the best things we can do is take that vision, take that promise, take that dream. Put it in the crock pot of our soul and let it sit there. Continue to pray about it. Get some wisdom from other people. Get some counsel. And when the time is right, then we reveal it. And so this is what Nehemiah does. He, he lays out this clear, concise plan of what he wants to do. Look back at verse 5. Here's how he answered the king. He said, I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah has a specific vision that he shares with the king. He didn't say, you know, you know, king, the reason I'm sad is because I just want to make the world a better place. He, he didn't say, you know, king, the reason I'm sad is because I'm just praying for world peace. Like, I mean, that's a lofty aspiration, right? World peace. 
But if you really want to get something uh, done, if you really want to be effective, you need to get some specifics. What is the specifics of your vision? No, he told the king, king, here's where I'm called, and here's why I'm called there. I'm going to Jerusalem, specific place, and I'm going to rebuild the wall, specific mission. That's vision. It's clear. It's concise. Friends, if there's something that you want to rebuild in your life, get specific with it. Look at verse 6. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, smart man. Everyone say smart man. Kings, don't be making decisions without your queen right beside you. Come on, somebody. The king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and, I love this, what Nehemiah did, I set him a time. Nehemiah not only knows where he's going, not only, not only knows what he's going to do, but he knows how long it's going to take to get it done. Why is this important? Because it's a matter of integrity. If Nehemiah said, well, you know, king, I, I don't really know when I'll be back. I mean, I got to get some helpers. I got to gather some supplies. I got to get the oil changed in my camel. It's going to be a while, king. I cannot give you, I, I don't know if they had camels or not, but I, I can't give you a, a precise time. You know, that speaks to the king. That, the king says, uh, that guy's flaky. <laughs> That, 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 that guy hasn't thought about this. He hasn't done his due diligence. But the fact that Nehemiah says, here's, here's where I'm going, here's what I'm going to do, and here's when I'll be back, that speaks to his credibility. Friends, if we're going to be people that lead change in our lives and in our world, we need specifics. Dreamers walk around with their head in the cloud, but leaders are ready to pour concrete. <laughs> they give people something to walk on. If you're going to get out of debt, how are you going to do it? When are you going to start? What's your plan? What steps will you take today? If you're going to rebuild your marriage, what's step one? Like, what, what are you going to do? Here's, here's probably step one. I'll tell you this. The Holy Spirit has probably already been telling you step one for a long time, and he's just waiting for you to obey. Husbands, Holy Spirit's been telling you for a while, stop disrespecting your wife. If you want this marriage to get better, stop disrespecting your wife. If you would just take step one, listen and obey the Holy Spirit, you'll be on your road to a better marriage. Oh, I'm preaching way, way better than you're engaging right now because it's getting personal. All right, it's like, let's talk about Nehemiah building walls. No, let's talk about you building your marriage. <laughs> Wives, I'll beat up on you a little bit today. But, but if you're working on, 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 on creating a better marriage or rebuilding the walls of your marriage, you're going to have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's already given you step one. Step one is stop nagging your husband. And all the men said. <laughs> see, see, now I got some interaction. Now I got some interaction. Woo, going on. But seriously, come on. You guys know this is the truth. The Holy Spirit tells us, stop saying that thing you keep saying to your spouse. And they walk in the room, and you see the words bubbling up in the back of your throat. Get yourself some acid reflex medicine or something. Don't let them escape. And the Holy Spirit saying, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And you say it anyway, and you ruin the whole night. What's wrong with you? The book wasn't written so you and I could figure out how to go build a wall. The book 
is written so that you and I can look at the brokenness in our lives and in our world and say, I'm willing to do the hard work to become a repairer of the breach. I'm willing to do what it takes to make my family better and stronger. I'm willing to do what it takes to address the issues in our culture. I'm willing to do that hard work. Specifics, not empty resolutions. If you're going to rebuild your spiritual life, what are you going to do? What's, what's, what's step one? Nehemiah saw the vision and he, he developed an action plan and he put a time limit on it. My life and your life will be exactly the same one year from now. One year from now, we're going to be exactly the same unless we see a vision and we develop the action plan to get there. What has God called you to rebuild? Is it something in your life? Is it something in our community, if I can talk? Nehemiah, he lays out this vision. He travels to Jerusalem. He's there for three days. He doesn't tell anyone why he's he's there. He just rides around. He observes the state of the city. He's never been here before. This is the the, the land of his people, but he's never been here before. He's he's been in captivity. And so he's just riding around. He's checking things out. And and he, he waits for that right time. And then when the time is right, he shares his vision. And he doesn't just share the what. He shares the why. Look at verse 17. Then I said to them, Nehemiah is speaking to the leaders. He says, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. Has God's hand been good upon anybody? He said, I I told him the hand of my God, which had been good, I love that phrase, upon me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. Again, the principles of leadership in this story are just incredible, but none greater than just these few verses. You see, as long as Jerusalem is sitting there with broken down walls, they are a reproach to the world around them. Not only was it a stain on their reputation, but the walls served a practical purpose too. Those walls protected them from their enemies. So if they had no walls, there was no protection. Now, the fact that these walls were broken down were not a surprise to these people. They lived there. Nehemiah didn't. He just heard about it. But they lived there. They stared at them. And history tells us they stared at them for 120 years. So not only did they stare at them, their parents stared at them. Their grandparents stared at them. That's three generations of wall starers. I mean, it's evident that there's rubble. It's evident that there are a reproach. It's evident that they have no protection. And 120 years goes by and no one can be successful. But somehow in one conversation, Nehemiah is able to inspire them to believe that they are the generation to do something about this mess. As Nehemiah speaks, something incredible happens. His vision becomes their vision. Look at verse 18. So they said, everyone say, they said. Nehemiah is not talking anymore. The leader has spoken. The leader has cast the vision. And what started with a vision from heaven is making its way down into the earth. And now in verse 18, they, the people said, let us, everyone say us. 
It's no longer let you do it, Nehemiah. It's let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. Friends, this is the mark of true leadership. True leaders don't bully people. True leaders don't manipulate people. True leaders aren't pushy. True leaders aren't just people who motivate others. True leaders inspire people. They inspire people so much that the vision of heaven becomes the reality of the earth. I believe there are some people maybe in the room this morning, maybe listening online or the radio, and as, as, soon, as, as soon as I started talking about rebuilding things in your life, you, you, you kind of lost interest. You started tuning out because you've lost your vision. Life has beat you up. Life has disappointed you. Your own mistakes have convinced you that you're a failure and there's no rebuilding in your life. You've had some people speak condemnation over your life and you believe them. Satan has spoken lies over your life and you have digested them so that they've become a part of your identity. But this morning, this ancient text written by the Holy Spirit thousands of years ago reminds us that when God is involved, it's never too late to begin again. It's not. In fact, God looks at the broken down walls in our lives and he just wishes that we could see past the rubble. God is looking for some people who will walk into your Monday morning tomorrow with a renewed vision to wake up with an understanding that you are called to inspire the people you work with. You're called to inspire the students that you're working with. You're called to, to inspire your community. Every one of us has been given this gift of influence, but instead of looking at this brokenness in our world and complaining about it, instead of just sitting there for 120 years and staring at the rubble. No, God has called our generation, our church, to pick up some tools and start rebuilding. Yes, it's hard work, but it's our calling. This series marks our one-year anniversary in this journey that we've been calling Greater Things. We believe that God gave us a vision to build a new spiritual home for our region. Now, if you would look at that vision with natural eyes, it doesn't make any sense. Number one, we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> who, who builds something in the middle of a pandemic? That doesn't make any sense. Number two, church attendance around the country is at a steady decline. The most popular TV shows in our country are ones that mock God and glorify sin. Some of the biggest songs of, of our day are straight up filth. Straight up, I heard of a song this week I didn't even know existed. I looked it up and I couldn't believe that this song was popular playing on our radio stations and some of our kids have it on their phone. Are you kidding me? Netflix thinks it's okay to sexualize our children. Pastor, why in the world would we build a bigger church in the midst of all that? Well, because we believe that God's not done with America. That's why... Yeah, there's some desolation. There are some broken down walls. But we are people of faith who serve a God of faith. And somehow we just don't believe that God is done saving people. 
And, and right now, there are some people who seem a million miles away, like people sitting way over here. you got some family members that you might look at those family members and you say, wow, God's never going to save them. Can I remind you, at one time in your life, you were a million miles away from God. But somehow, in His grace, the Holy Spirit came looking for you. He put His finger in your life. He called you. He saved you. He redeemed you. He's restoring you right now. If God could do it for you, he can do it for them. The world has some broken places right now, but that's precisely why the world needs a church that builds. The world around us throws people away every day. It cancels people. It condemns people. It tears down people. But in the midst of a culture like that, we need to be a church that looks into the eyes of broken people and we tell them about a God who restores, redeems, and rebuilds. I wish somebody would give God praise this morning. If you believe we are that generation it ain't in me to stare at a broken wall for 120 years I don't know how to build walls I don't know how to mix anything I don't know how to listen I'm better at breaking stuff than I am at building stuff but you know what? Nehemiah didn't have to be the mastermind. <laughs> All he had to be was the leader. <laughs> All he had to do was inspire people with vision. And there are enough people in this church that know how to build walls. Some of y'all's pastor, what kind of walls are we? I'm not talking about walls. <laughs> I'm talking about the brokenness of our world, of our community. Listen, we, we, we're here, Garrett County. And beyond, we know we got people traveling from all over now. Be a part of our church. We're, we're, we, we love them. We're glad. But I'm telling you, God has not just assembled us so we could have great church services. God has not just assembled us so we could build a new building and have some more seats. And, and it, that, that's, not, that's not our purpose. God has assembled us to create a place where people can come and have remarkable moments with him. But the moment doesn't end when they walk out the door. <laughs> our moment, our mission doesn't end when we walk out the door. He has assembled us so that we can go into our schools, we can go into our businesses, we can go back home to our families, and we can rebuild broken people. Will you stand with me today? I'm going to pray. Friends, our world needs people who are people that build with prayer. People that build with our influence, our leadership. People that build with our generosity. And I'm not just talking about finances today. Our King Jesus exemplified these things. He was always in connection with his Father. He had a prayer life like none other. Jesus, the greatest leader to ever live, before he headed to the cross, he took a towel and served the feet of his disciples. And he inspired 
120 men and women in this place called the upper room. He inspired them to wait for the promise of heaven. And when the promise of heaven, the Holy Spirit came, he filled that 120 those men and those women. And, and that 120 people 2,000 years ago turned the world upside down. And today you and I are here because of their faith. They looked at the brokenness in their world and they were willing to give all so we could know restoration. Jesus, the greatest leader that ever lived. And then generosity, talk about generous. He was generous with everything he had, including his own blood. What our world needs is to know the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, there were tens of thousands of people praying in our nation's capital. We know this year's been one filled with protest. Sometimes those things turn into riots, and we know that the political landscape in our in our world is just creating more and more division. It's so sad. Friends, our solution is never going to be found in who we place on the Supreme Court or who we elect president. Our solution will only be found in the blood that flowed on Mount Calvary. Scripture says, by His blood, He has made us one from every race, every tribe, every tongue, every skin color, every nationality. Jesus is not a black man's God. He's not a Jewish God. He's not a white man's God. He is the God. And our world desperately needs Him. And I'm asking our church... And I'm challenged myself to lay down every other agenda that does not point to the Lamb of God. And let's be willing to pick up our our tools of building. Things like prayer. Things like servant leadership. And let's look into the eyes of brokenness and offer them the rebuilder of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. I thank you for your word, God. It's not a dry, dusty, dead book. It's alive today. It's alive. And You bring us here. You gather us in this place. You gather us online to give us hope that our broken lives can be restored. If you're listening today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I've just told you, He loved you enough to die for you. Would you receive His sacrifice today? Would you say, yes, Lord, I need to begin again. I need to start over. I want to be yours. Forgive me of my sin. God, cleanse me of my past and give me a brand new beginning. If that's you, just talk to Him. Tell him today. If you're here this morning, you've got something that needs rebuilt in your life. 
Would you talk to the Lord about that right now? Just be honest with him. Don't make mistakes or don't make excuses about your mistakes, whatever it is. Just say, okay, Lord, I'm looking at the rubble and and I need need you to show me. How do I start rebuilding the walls in my spiritual life? How do I even come back to you, Father? Lord, show me, how how do I start rebuilding the walls in, in my marriage? can't just have a good plan. I need to have a God plan. I need to know, Lord, what, how do we, how do we get back to that first love? Lord, I got a situation with my kids. I need your plan. There's some brokenness there. Our relationship needs restored. God, I got a child that we're just not connecting and we we show me, Father, we show me, Lord. There's a need in our community that the Lord has been burdening you with. So, Father, just, just direct my steps. He's faithful to do that. Lord, thank you for loving us, your church, enough to give us a vision to be a generation of rebuilders give you thanks and praise today.